Deuteronomy 7. This is the inerrant, the infallible, the life-giving word of God. When the Lord, your God, brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now let's turn over in our Bibles to our New Testament reading and our sermon text in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, we're going to be reading verses 21 to 28. Matthew 15, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was a Christian missionary 
named um, Nick Reipkin. And he spoke of an unusual group of people that he met on some of his missionary travelings. Uh, there were five men at one location that he met. And these five men were Muslims. They grew up Muslim. They were from a Muslim country. And they grew up in a strict Muslim uh, family. But each of these five men had become followers of Christ in their own way, and in various ways they came to know Christ. One of, one of the, the former Muslims said, I actually bought a Bible in an Islamic bookstore. I took it home and I read it five times. And that's how I came to know Jesus. Reipkin, the Christian missionary, said each one of them had come across a Bible in some unusual, miraculous way. Each one of them read the gospel story of Jesus. Each one of them decided to follow Jesus. Now, from a worldly perspective, if we were looking at these men in a strict Muslim country, from a strict Muslim family, we might say it's very unlikely that they're going to get hold of a Bible. And even if they get hold of a Bible, it's unlikely that they're going to pay money for it and take it home, and it's unlikely they would actually read it, and then it's even more unlikely that they would find it, buy it, read it, and then believe it, and follow Christ and be shunned by family and culture. From a, from a, a worldly, earthly per, uh, perspective, it seemed that the, the context was grim. But I think that we are reminded of something that J.C. Ryle said, he says, it is grace, not place, which makes people believers. It is grace and not place. And with this in mind, we turn to our text this morning, where we will consider first Jesus going to the unclean. Second, we'll consider God's plan of salvation. And third, we will look at humble faith. So first, Jesus going to the unclean. I think it's helpful that we keep in mind the context uh, in which our, our miracle today, our text today, is situated. Chapter 15, at the beginning, there was a long conversation about what defiles somebody. What makes one unclean? Is it what goes into the mouth? If I eat with dirty hands, does that defile me? Or is it from the heart? Is it from the heart that evil things come forth? And there was a conversation that Jesus had with the religious leaders earlier in our text. And so I think it's interesting that Jesus now, after having that conversation about clean and unclean, is now going to the districts of Tyre and Sidon. If you've looked in your Bible maps, perhaps in the back of your Bible, and you look for the city of Tyre or Sidon, it is way up north on the coastline. Way up north on the coastline. It was a large Gentile area. And so Jesus is certain, almost certain, to encounter what many Jews would have considered unclean people. Tyre and Sidon are interesting cities if you do some uh, digging in the Bible and look at some of their history. 
Tyre and Sidon were cities that actually predate Israel. Before Israel got there, uh, Tyre and Sidon were there. King Solomon relied on Tyre. Uh, in building the temple. He used a lot of the materials from Tyre in order to construct the temple. Jesus, earlier in our text, or in our, in our, in our gospel, he used Tyre and Sidon in a series of woes against unbelieving Jews. He used them as, as examples. So in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. So Jesus is going into cities in Matthew 11. He's doing mighty works. He's doing miracles. And people are not believing. Even, even as they're seeing great miraculous things, they lie and sit in unbelief still. And Jesus is giving them woes. And he said in verse 21 of Matthew 11, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on Judgment Day for Tyre and Sidon than for you. So as our Lord goes to these lands of Tyre and Sidon, his hypothetical prediction here in Matthew 11 is somewhat vindicated as he meets a Canaanite woman. This woman is associated with the people whom Joshua was commissioned to destroy. And I think Matthew is keen on telling us she's not just a woman, she's a Canaanite woman. He wants us to note that. This was a Canaanite woman, not just a regular or common or, or general woman, but he wants us to, to know Canaanite. One commentator said, no one in the first century used that term anymore. Matthew is deliberately conjuring up distasteful memories of the pagan Tyre and Sidon from Old Testament times. So in other words, the Holy Spirit through Matthew is emphasizing how outside, how far away, how unclean this woman is. She's way down on the totem pole, you could say. But here in our passage, she engages with Christ. She's engaging and she's coming to Christ in faith from this pagan land. Church father John Chrysostom said that this parallels Acts 10, actually, and what happened to the Apostle Peter. If you remember the Apostle Peter, he gets a vision of this tablecloth coming down out of heaven with all this unclean food on it. Food that Jews were not supposed to eat, and God declares it, this is clean. And then what does Peter do? He goes into a Gentile's house and has fellowship with a Gentile. Well, what happened in our text in Matthew 15? Jesus has a conversation about clean and unclean, and now he is engaging here with a Gentile. Similar in both places. And here I think that we are beginning to see God's plan of salvation unfold as the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, salvation to everyone who believes, 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And this leads to my second point, God's plan of salvation. This woman comes and pleads with Jesus because her daughter is severely, severely possessed or oppressed by a demon. She is an unclean Israel, or uh, Canaanite rather. Jesus said to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This phrase that Jesus says to her brings into view the, the plan and the purposes of God's unfolding salvation. If we remember back to Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden, we remember back to Adam and Eve when they sinned against God. And God, of course, could have slayed Adam and Eve where they stood. He could have came in judgment and sent them to, to hell at once. But instead, he gave a glimpse of the gospel as he was pronouncing judgment upon the serpent. In Genesis 3.15, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, what were they doing? God said, if you eat that fruit, you will surely die. Satan said, surely you will not die. And what did Eve do? I think Satan's right. I'm going to side with Satan. She joined Team Satan. Adam joined Team Satan. And what does God say? I'm going to bust up Team Satan. I'm going to cause enmity. I'm going to cause division. I'm going to call a people back to myself. Through Christ. And as time went on, God chose Abraham. And he told Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Through Abraham, God would make the nation of Israel. God would love Israel over all the nations of the earth. He chose Israel. He loves Israel. As he said in Amos 3, you only have I loved of all the families of the earth. It was God's design not only to bless Israel, but through Israel to bless the world. Throughout the Old Testament, we get hints about this coming um, uh, spread of salvation. We get hints throughout the Old Testament that one day the Gentiles will be included. One day the Holy Spirit will pour out with power. One day Japheth will dwell in the tents of Shem. Matthew's Gospel throughout has been pointing and hinting at and looking forward to the inclusion of the Gentiles. Even all the way back in the beginning of Matthew, we have a genealogy of Jesus. And what's fascinating is that even within Jesus' family tree, there are Gentiles within the family tree. Three of the four women in Jesus' family tree were Gentiles. Jesus was born... And we all know it was kind of a hostile environment. Herod is trying to, to kill Jesus. 
He's born in this hostile environment, but who comes and worships him? But pagan, Gentile, wise men, magi, are traveling a long distance to worship the Jewish Messiah. Jesus is from Galilee. People estimate that Galilee had upwards of 50% Gentile population. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins his mission with Gentiles. In Matthew chapter 8, the Gentile centurion comes to faith. A Gentile demoniac is healed. And at the end of the book, in Matthew 28, we get the Great Commission, Go and make disciples of all nations, all over the world. And so Gentiles are being included in Matthew's gospel as the focus of Jesus' gospel. They are going to be included, but there's an order to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. There has been a mission priority with Jesus throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Even back in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus is sending out his disciples, he tells them in Matthew 10, 5 to 6, he says, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and do not enter any town of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But later in that same chapter, verse 18, Jesus says, later you will go to the Gentiles. There is a mission priority to the Jew first and also to the Greek. As God blessed Israel and through Israel blessed the world, so Jesus goes to Israel first and then to the Gentiles. And notice here, too, that phrase, lost sheep. These lost sheep are wayward. The people of God need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The people of God, sadly, the Pharisees, the scribes, have abandoned God. They are covenant-breaking, and Jesus is calling them back to faith and repentance. So throughout the gospel, we often marvel at the faith that we see in Gentiles, even as we weep at the faithlessness that we see in Israel with the scribes and the Pharisees. God is still saving a people. God is still causing enmity. God is still calling people out of Satan's kingdom. Even this Canaanite woman from an unclean people, is going to manifest a faith that surpasses the faith of the Jews that we see Jesus encountering. And this leads to my final point, humble faith. Humble faith. We are not sure how this Canaanite woman um, came to a, a pretty mature faith in Christ. She seems to know who he is. She seeks him out. She knows what he can do. She pleads with him, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now this, of course, is how Psalm 51 opens. Have mercy on me, O God. She takes that upon her lips to plead it to Jesus Christ. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Somehow she knows that he is son of David, the long-awaited Messiah who sits on David's throne. I think Matthew wants us to be shocked that a Canaanite 
is coming to a Jewish Messiah and calling him son of David when all the, the scribes and the Sadducees and Pharisees sat faithless. Matthew wants us to be shocked that a Canaanite is coming and expressing this great, mature faith in Christ. For centuries, the Canaanites were enemies of Israel, and now she comes, a Canaanite, to be blessed by the Jewish Messiah. And in another shocking twist, as she comes and as she pleads with Jesus, Jesus is silent. He doesn't answer her. And it's interesting, as we look back in Matthew, that Jesus had no problem welcoming or healing Gentiles in chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 8. But here, he's silent. As we're reading the Gospels, we, we might expect Jesus to say, well, yes, absolutely, I will heal her immediately. But he doesn't answer her a word. Why? Why doesn't he answer her a word? John Calvin said, We see then that the design of Christ's silence was not to extinguish the woman's faith, but rather to wet her zeal and inflame her passion. So apparently this woman was saying this over and over again, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Have mercy on me, O Lord. So much so that it says the disciples begged Jesus. They didn't just ask Jesus. They begged Jesus to send her away because she is crying out after us. There's also a question here as to what are the disciples asking Jesus. Because that phrase, send away, could mean tell her to go away because she's annoying. It could also mean free her from bondage so that she will go away. We're not 100% sure how to render that word because you could take it in, in different ways. But either way, the disciples are getting rather flustered at this woman crying out, even as Jesus is silent. And at the, the disciples' behest, Jesus answers the woman, and he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, Jesus is pressing his mission. His mission was to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, to the Jew first, and then after his resurrection, there will definitely be a more global mission outreach, a more global um, vision for, for going to, to the nations and making disciples of all nations. But in redemptive history, Jesus' earthly ministry was short, and he was to have a special eye on Israel. But as Christ answers, the woman the woman is not dissuaded. She pleads with Christ even more. Perhaps she was standing a bit far off, pleading over and over and over and over again. But now it says in our text that she actually went to him, went up to Christ, went to his feet and, and knelt at the feet of Christ. And she says, Lord, help me. You can sense, I think, the desperation She's on her knees, and all she says is, Lord, help me. You can sense the hopelessness, 
outside of Christ. There, there is no hope. Christ is her last hope. She goes to Christ and kneels and just says, Lord, help me. And what Christ says into our modern ears sometimes sounds a bit shocking, doesn't it? Christ says, it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. Again, Jesus is bringing up his divine mission. He is to offer the bread of life to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and not to throw it to dogs. The Jews sometimes referred to the Gentiles as dogs. And it's also interesting here, too, because the, there's different words for dogs. There's different types of dogs. There's a word for a wild dog, a dog that's out in the field that's more beastly. And then there's a word for a tame pet house dog that's small. Jesus uses the word of the tame house dog, not the word for the wild dog in the field. So that's an interesting distinction. I think that the woman picks up on the word that Jesus uses. And we know that our Lord is never harsh or mean. He never says anything inappropriately. We also don't know the demeanor in which he said it. Did he say it with a wink or a smile? We, we were not there. We don't know the atmosphere. But notice that house dogs are near the table. House dogs are in the house. And again, the woman picks up on this in verse 27 and says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Christ is the master, and she's saying, Yes, I am the dog, and all it takes is a small crumb. That's how powerful Christ is. Just one crumb from your table, and my daughter will be healed. Just a small morsel. This woman's faith, I think, is extraordinary. You know, throughout this encounter, the woman has been persistent. She has persevered. She has not given up. There's been almost a kind of verbal wrestling match with Jesus as she pleads, as he's silent, as he responds, she responds. There's been this verbal back and forth between her and Christ. So many commentators liken this to Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis 32. Jacob refusing to let go until God blesses him. And here the Canaanite woman in our text will not give up, but continues to plead with Christ. Edmund Clowney said, Faith wins when it knows that all is lost and clings to God alone. Faith wins when it knows all is lost and clings to God alone. The Canaanite woman is clinging to God alone. When Jesus was silent, when the disciples tried to dismiss her, when Jesus says, you're not the focal point of, or the focus of my mission right now, when she was compared to a dog, each time the woman clung to God because she knew that her only help was in Christ. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. But this woman's faith is not only extraordinary, it's very humble. She has a very humble faith. Notice she doesn't bicker with Christ and say, well, I'm not a dog. That was rude. She doesn't, she doesn't give any pushback on this whatsoever. She says, I am a dog. Let me eat the crumbs from your table. Faith is a humble thing, isn't it? Faith is like the tax collector 
that won't even look up and just beats his chest and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, I mean, uh, faith, rather, is, is like singing Amazing Grace, where you sing that line, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. Faith is like Martin Luther's last words when he said, we are beggars. This is true. Faith is not proud. Faith realizes how unworthy we are and how great Christ is. The Canaanite woman was humble. I am a wretched dog, but you are Christ, the son of David. St. Augustine said that this woman was a type, of, a type that is a figure of the church. The grace of humility has been eminently set before us. She is humble. Christ came and to seek to save the lost. It is not the healthy that need the doctor, but it's the sick. People who know that they are unworthy, who know that they are wretched, who know how fallen they are. And this woman knows it. I am a dog, but you are Christ. This woman's persistent and humble faith, I think, is an example to us all. And Jesus responds, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Athanasius said, The Lord no longer spoke to her as a dog, but conversed with her as a human being. She proved herself to be one of the faithful, not one of those outside the kingdom, but she showed herself that she was a true follower of Christ. She had true faith in Christ. Much of Israel was laying in disbelief during this time, but this woman showed forth a mighty faith and proved that she is not one of the outsiders. She is indeed of the faithful. Jesus' silence, I think, was a test. A test not only to, um, to test her faith, but to be an example. To strengthen not only her faith, but to strengthen the faith of others. And to show how great her faith was in comparison with the scribes and the Pharisees. This miracle of healing those who are far off shows us, I think, that salvation is for all who believe to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Jesus' death and resurrection extends now to every believer, every believer no matter where the believer is. Again, it's grace and not place that makes a person a believer. And I think that this challenges us not to diminish the power and the scope of God. Sometimes we, we get into this mindset where we look at a person or we look at a people group and we think they are too far gone from salvation. That person is a hardened Muslim, a hardened atheist. That person went to this school, or that person is a member of that religion, and we somehow dismiss them because we diminish the power and the scope of God saving people. But the miracle of Christ here today says no. There is no ethnicity, there is no gender, there is no status that is somehow unworthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God can save people from the most unlikely places. He can even get Bibles into the hands of Muslims in hardened Muslim countries. 
But the miracle also shows us, I think, the kindness of Christ. Not only the power of Christ, but the kindness of Christ. Even as he was testing this woman's faith to be an example for us today even, and for his disciples back then, we see his kindness. Sometimes we need to be reminded, I think, of how kind Christ is. Maybe we feel like our life is spinning, or maybe we feel like we lack a purpose, or maybe we feel like God is distant and we feel so hopeless. Well, see, with this Canaanite woman, she came to Christ with a humble and a persistent faith. She got down on her knees and she just said, Lord, help me. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Friends, we should rest assured because Christ will have mercy on us. Christ will hear us and Christ will answer us according to our benefit and our greatest need. Our God is kind and his arms are open wide to us today. Amen.